0: You're listening to Simmering Thoughts, a weekly podcast where host Ryan Akers welcomes you to sit back and enjoy slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. This week, guest Brett Lee Price joins the program to discuss what is man in relationship to the fall? What happened when Adam and Eve listened to that serpent so long ago in Genesis 3? Why in the world does that cause us so much grief yet today? Before we begin that discussion, you have just enough time to grab your Bible, find yourself a comfortable chair, maybe even something to drink, and enjoy this episode of Simmering Thoughts. Welcome back to Simmering Thoughts. My name is Ryan Akers, and I am the host of the program. We have a very special guest here today, joining us from uh, somewhere, something along the lines of, I think we decided it was 17 hours ahead of me, uh, from Australia, almost the exact opposite side of the world from me, uh, is Brett Lee Price. Uh, I got to meet him uh, because he was coming to Kentucky to do some research and I'll let him tell you a little bit about that. And while he was here, he was literally right across the river from where I live in Santa Claus, Indiana. So I ran across to Owensboro and we had a chance to sit down over some Arby's uh, a few weeks ago and had a really good conversation. I really enjoyed that conversation. It was It's kind of neat to sit down with a brother and Likewise. never having talked before and be able to have an hours long conversation just for the fun of it. And so, uh, invited mm-hmm. him to join us on the podcast. And so he is here. We're going to discuss uh, a, a special topic today. We'll get into that a little bit later as well. But first, I want to go ahead and let him introduce himself just a little bit more. Brett, go for it. Sure.
1: So my name is uh, Brett Lee Price. As you mentioned, um, I. Mm, Good, good, good question. What am I? Uh, (laughs) One of the main areas is I'm I'm a historian. Uh, So I I basically um, have interest in church history with a particular focus on uh, two major uh, areas. One of them, of course, is uh, Australian church history. I'm very interested in the establishment and the overall history of the particular Baptist in Australia. But the other area, and this is probably what I'm more known for, is I'm a pinkologist. I'm very interested in AW Pink. Uh, one of the main driving forces in, as to why I was in the United States recently, including in Ducky, uh, driving all, over that lovely state, was uh, to do research on the pastorates of AW Pink. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a bit about me. I have been in pastoral ministry, currently taking uh, respite,
0: and um, yeah, I think that's pretty much um, everything up to date. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's so interesting that uh that somebody it's from an American standpoint, it's we don't often think of historians Ooh. come to visit us to study us. Uh it's kind of different to be on that end of things uh because as as I've studied and and it's good for us to do that. It's really good for us to do that. But I've mm. as I've studied history and I've I've looked at things, it's rarely looking from the outside in. It's usually from this side looking mm. over somewhere else. And uh, so it's always good to have that different perspective mm. and hear from somebody else. Uh, well, oh,
1: Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Well, our, our top. Oh, I was just going to say, absolutely. I, I I think one of the benefits of being an outsider looking in, especially as a Reformed Baptist in a, from a country where there's not many Reformed Baptists, looking at uh, the history and Tr- historic trajectory of um reformed baptists in america it's, it's very interesting in seeing the personalities involved without necessarily being um tied up to that mm-hmm. and so so it's it was um a very fascinating trip recently that's uh, all i can say <laughs>
0: <laughs> well it was also you happened to be traveling around near my wife's uh birthplace she was born uh in western kentucky as well and uh, so you weren't too far from her her stomping grounds uh, from when she was little.
1: Oh, there you go. <laughs> I think um, in all the places that Pink had some type of connection with, outside of uh, possibly Sydney, Australia, the, the region of Kentucky, Western Kentucky itself, is pretty much Pink territory. So yeah. it's, a, it's very, it was very was very fascinating driving around Western Kentucky, um, basically attending the churches where he ministered at.
0: And in a lot of ways, uh, those communities are very similar still to what they were even at that point. Uh, Some of them are very isolated communities.
1: So you're absolutely right. I I think that's the feeling the impression that you get when you're driving around Western Kentucky. I went to one of the, the smallest towns I went to where Pink actually wasn't the minister but he actually attended there for the year between 1929 and 1930 in Morton's Gap. And the feel that you get when you go to Morton's Gap, which has less than 800 people, is that time has moved on, but certain places have not. Not, yeah. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean it in a way that when you enter it, you can very much get that semblance of history as it once stood in the period that you've actually studied.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, and mm. some of the smaller towns, even outside of that, uh, even more so. Uh, where my wife grew mm. up is uh, two counties over from where Morton's Gap is. Uh, that's in uh, mm. uh, Hopkins County, and she's from Caldwell County. Couple, just literally two counties over. You have to go through uh, one other county, and uh, the part of town where, or the part of the county where she's from, uh, there is small collections of fifteen homes counts for a, a town, and uh, the main city mm. in the county mm. is mm. where. That's like the gathering point for everything, and and Hopkins County is very much that way. Uh, in Madisonville is where most mm. of the center of the county is, and then everything else kind of revolves around it. And uh, even in in downtown mm. Madisonville is still uh, very nineteen sixties, very in terms of feel, in terms of uh, what the shops look like and, mm. and how they how the downtown looks. Uh, a lot of small Kentucky towns are that way. And Madisonville isn't actually all that small for Kentucky. It's it's uh, a larger town, especially in western Kentucky.
1: Mm. And I guess that's why when you're going through bigger cities like Owensboro, uh, I haven't been for Louisville yet, but I'd imagine it's um, obviously being the larger city. But also Bowling Green, uh, being yes. a regional hub there, is that they're very different in the outlook and just the, the feel you get compared to a lot of these smaller cities, which really, um, many of them being an hour or under, away.
0: Yes, <laughs> that's exactly the case. You, mm. you can, as soon as you get out of town, it's like you, you pass, in Owensboro particularly, uh, as you leave one particular street, You know when you pass Cracker Barrel, it goes from a uh, suburb shopping center area, to farmland in a quarter of a mile mm. and and you're now in farmland Absolutely. and you go out five miles past and there's little farming villages that are the rest of the towns uh, mm. and in my part of Indiana and southern Indiana really most of Indiana is very similar to Kentucky in that way uh, but they don't it, it's interesting mm. Indiana doesn't revolve around county seat nearly as much as Kentucky does and there's a lot of historic reasons for that that are outside the purview of this particular podcast, but they're there. <laughs> so, well, <Fair> <laughs> we, we probably ought to jump into that purpose of the podcast. And so what we're going to be doing tonight is uh, continuing our series on anthropology. Our last episode, uh, we talked about that man is created and, and what does it mean that man is created in the image of God specifically? And, and how does that play out in uh, how we experience life? And so today we're going to take that and go Mm. the next step. So last time we spent a lot of time in Genesis 1 and 2. Today we're going to spend a lot of time probably in Genesis 3 as we talk about the nature of the fall. And we're going to look at man as a fallen creature uh, with regard to God and and talk about some of those uh, implications that come from that, how that affects how we live, how it affects how we evangelize, how we work as a church, and how we just function in life in general. Because quite honestly, uh, I cannot think of an area of my life where the fall has not affected uh, in some way uh, and usually in serious Absolutely. ways. And uh, so want to jump into that. And so I want to throw kind of a large question at you and let you meander with it where it happens to go uh, and look at uh, this. What is the fall? And specifically, uh, you know, we talked about that image of God in man. What what are the effects on the image of God within us? What is the fall? How does that affect the image of God? How does that affect us as humans?
1: Well, I, I guess, of course, when, whenever we want to tackle the idea of the fall, we always, by necessar- really by necessity, have to go back to Genesis 3. We, we know that we have this individual, uh, Adam, and then from Adam came Eve, And these were individuals who were created not with neutrality, they were created upright. They were created, uh, as uh, 1689 and Westminster uh, rightly put it, they were created with a positive condition. Now, being as as much, the Confession puts it quite uh, aptly that despite being given one righteous law, they failed to keep it, and as a consequence... They fell because of the total disagreement and violation of God's decree had occurred. Scripture tells us, uh, Romans 5 particularly, uh, Lee, tells us that as a result, sorry, Romans six twenty three tells us, as a result, for the wages of sin is death. Through the violation of Adam and Eve violating the one righteous law clearly exemplified by God, To Adam, mankind fell. Now we know that the first thing which occurred from the fall, from the partaking of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, was that mankind was cursed. We we go through the idea that God goes through and he curses the serpent, he curses Eve, and then he curses Adam. Now, understanding that uh, understanding that understanding that there's those curses which come into play they affect of course what the future direction of mankind is going to look like Mm -hmm. but also we see straight off after the curses are actually given that mankind is casted out of the garden because adam who was meant to be an upright servant of god representing god to creation had violated the command he was meant to keep. The only command he was given, which was a stoic creation, and represent God to creation, and as, and through failing to do so by violating a, a, uh, violating God's decree, as one John says, sin is lawlessness. So Adam committed sin. Mankind was became fallen and was cast out. Now, the curses, of course, affect the forward trajectory of what mankind is going to look like. But we also see from, that, from the whole idea of the four is that mankind becomes radically different in nature. We have, we have a being who, quite clearly, Scripture tells us that it was made in the image of God, Imago Dei. But after he violates God's decree there becomes a radical shift. R.C. Sproul puts it in as a radical corruption of of that nature, which, which is a fair point. This nature of Adam and of his posterity becomes radically different. And Thomas Boston, I think, also rightly says in his treatment of the fourfold state of human nature, is that mankind exchanges through becoming fallen, exchanges being made in the image of God, becoming like the image of Satan. And I I think that's a very potent kind of thought, this thinking that no longer are we fully in the image of God. Now, post-fall, we become more in the image of him who who is a great
0: deceiver. That's kind of a uh, frightening statement (laughs) when you think about it. It it really is. Much of our very nature is the image and likeness in terms of how we actually operate, is the image and likeness of Satan as opposed to the image and likeness of God? How we were created, and uh, that's mm. and that's a difficult. thing. I think some folks wrestle with that and have a difficulty uh, really wrapping their mind around the change in their nature that comes from the fall. The the uh, uh, that change in who we more look like that happens and that the 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 death and the rottenness that is uh the human ooh, nature post fall uh it's uh, <laughs> not a very pretty sight and all you have to do to, to verify it you don't really have to be a huge historian uh you could just be a student of your own day and just look at the state of the world um uh, but even yeah, even more so being a historian uh and looking back and 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 history is one of my hobbies And uh, as you look back in history and see the the just absolute evil that man is capable of, even in its best times, even in the best times in history, there's we can't point at a time and say everything was golden because it wasn't. There's no such thing. And uh, it's it's disheartening at times. There's times where things seem marginally better, uh, but certainly there's no time where we could say all was right with the world. Within that context, mm. that that's right, and, and and so I think two
1: clear examples of that is this really shown in two different Bible verses. You have Ecclesiastes seven twenty nine, and wh- whereas in the wisdom literature Solomon goes, "This only have I found: God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes." Mm. And then you go elsewhere. In Psalm 58, 3, 4, where he states, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they're born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. This shows the kind of radical shift you have in one sense, pre-4, the man was made upright. He had the ability to sin, the ability not to sin become before he becomes so wicked by his very nature Uh, it goes along what Jonathan Edwards says in the freedom of the will man becomes so inclined to follow his sinful nature as as being part of this new nature he is in and so what ends up happening is you end up with a situation where man only becomes able to sin he's lost the understanding of how he was prior to be, where he was posse bakari, able to sin, bakari, able not to sin, being non-posse, non bakari and the ability, not able not to sin. He's sinning constantly. This this whole nature becomes different, where once man was made up right, he becomes nothing but a deceiver again in the image of Satan, a radical ontological shift occurs
0: such a change in nature is a violent swing and and i think we see that in it absolutely is especially in that first uh section of genesis as we go toward the flood uh we see the violence the violent swing from where man is in the garden to just abject evil um as the state of mankind as a whole uh and that's that's a big a big change and i think uh, one of the things that we often use somewhat i don't want to say flippantly but without sincere and serious thought about the words we're using uh we talk about death being one of the major physical Ooh. effects of the fall but i think in many ways that the, the the more profound and violent effects of the fall are the interpersonal evil that we that we that we submit each other to as we go through our lives Uh, the sins that we commit not not only against god but against each other and uh there are several folks that that i um have run into online that are struggling with the effects of their sin and others sin in relationship with them uh through depression divorce uh through just just Mm. uh the the heaviness of the soul and i think a lot of times that is a, in and of itself is a wrestling with the nature of who am i and and i think sometimes it's not it's by far not all the time but i think there's a, a a segment of dealing with that depression and the loneliness and uh some of those things that it's a mm. personal re- reckoning with the state of who who am i and recognizing uh, yeah, where they stand, and and I think sometimes it's even recognizing where everybody around them stands. They don't necessarily see themselves clearly, but they're seeing everybody else and noting how just heavy with sin their entire life area, the, their entire circle of friendship is, and their family, and uh, that that just weighs on mm. one so much. Mm. I, I think absolutely, we we see.
1: The effects of sin abound time and time again. Uh, like you mentioned before, all you need to do is read a newspaper. Not that anybody reads news- newspapers <laughs> anymore, but go go to your nearest news source, uh, whether it's on the television or online, and, and we see the the outworkings of sin of this fallen nature in leaps and bounds. Um, Lloyd Jones once said, "It's something that you can't hide from at all. The the, the demonstration of it." is apparent for all to see. And he's absolutely right. I, I think what, one of the realities for Christians is all about understanding a, or grabbing an, a proper understanding of anthropology as articulated by God himself in Scripture. Mm. And the only way that we can do so is by absolutely hugging onto to uh, theology proper. Because at the end of the day, the creature is defined by the creator. And if the if the creature is defined by the creator, then, then that, of course, means we should be taking our cue from what the creator says about us. If, if that's not the ontological underpinnings of how we self-identify, then ultimately, we're never going to quite understand who we are. We're always going to be looking at false acclamations or um, articulations of what other people say. And and one of the problems in in a church itself is that we don't have a proper framing of total depravity. We don't have a proper uh, understanding of our ruined condition and our alienation from God. At at the same time, outside of the church, society has so disposed of this understanding of man's fallen nature that instead we redefine human nature as being good as being appropriate as being okay and change understanding that mankind to be okay to be upright even post four it radically changes how we how we perceive the world how we look at the world how we engage with the world and of course from that we enter in more we we enter in a world where sin abounds even more, yeah. because at the end of the day, everything that I, not, not everything I'm doing is okay. Nothing that I am doing is wrong.
0: We get that in our head, and then the reality of where we are, and the reality of of you know if I'm good, then you're good, and then if I'm good and you're good, and oh. we're having this conflict. Or you're treating me this way. Now I have a, a mis because of my misperception of my own personhood, because of my misperception of how good I am uh, mm. and or how good you are because of that, that misperception creates yeah. the, 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 the cognitive dissonance that leads us toward despair. Uh, the, the, I mean, Absolutely. when, when we, when we see an expectation of this and we get that, uh, that causes us disappointment, and that it, over and over those disappointments add up. and uh, it makes it really difficult to to figure out what's going on and make sense of the world. And we hear so much of, especially as teenagers uh, come into understanding adult life and, and come into understanding being a part of society, independent of their parents and, and on their own. They have to wrestle with what is goodness and, and who is good. And is anybody Ooh. good? And as they wrestle with that, that's part of the reason the teen years are so rotten is because you're trying to, to take the idealized things that you've seen your whole life and make sense out of all of it. And a lot of that is is breaking down that sense of of uh, personhood being innately good and in almost a, a sense Absolutely. of mistrusting of self because of knowing your own sin.
1: Absolutely, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's often one of those things. Whenever people understand the whole idea of the rich man approaching Jesus and he says, "Oh, good teacher," and then Jesus rebukes him and, and tells him, "Why do you call me good? Truly, I tell you, only God is good." See, mm. some people look at that and go, "No, that's just hyperbole." You know, oh, yes, yes, only God's good in uh, you know in a total, absolute way. But but mankind can be good in some way. But see, we need to understand that when Jesus is saying that, it's not hyperbole at all. Yeah. He's actually cutting right down to the fact that it is ultimately God who is good. God is the moral, absolute moral foundation of what defines goodness. And as such, any any definition by Christians on what should be perceived as good must correctly derive from and stem from what God has said is good.
0: I think to some degree, even uh, one of the things that Jesus is pointing out in that particular case is you don't recognize good when you're looking at him because that's me. You're calling me good, but you don't realize that I'm actually good and you don't realize that I'm actually God. And so now I'm going to correct you here. And and that his that 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 man's misunderstanding of the nature of himself and the nature of who Jesus was. Mm. Is, is just it, There's just a pin that's driven right through that, with that question, or that response, I should say.
1: Uh, absolutely. So it, it's just one of those uh, situations where, because we've so redefined ourselves, I mean, again, we take us back from pre-4, we see that God created mankind, and it was very good. But, but again, that was pre-4 had such... The difficulties and the extent of the fall were so extensive, in in the sense that they they reached to the very essence, our intrinsic self, and and radically shifted the way that we were. So the the once upon a time we could claim that we were made and we were very good. We no longer have that claim anymore. And, and so therefore, when you have people today inside the church as well, I mean, if we. Think back a few decades ago to Robert Schuller and yes. really the whole self-esteem movement, which is still ended up being uh, – really being within the general scope of evangelicalism today, what some people have started calling the Big Eva. You understand that a lot of churches have a misunderstanding of who God is, and subsequently they have a misunderstanding of who they are. Yes, and unless you get you can frame your theology proper correctly, there's no way you're gonna get a, a good and correct understanding of anthropology. Yes, and that is the fact that again, like what what Paul says so well, so clearly in Romans three, that there is no one good, no not one, yep, no one who seeks God. They've all fallen away. They've all become uh, useless. There's no one who searches for God. No, not one. It's just this understanding that, again, mankind in and of themselves, and I probably butchered that. That was off the top of my head. <laughs> um, but, the underst- but the fundamental understanding deriving from that is the fact that mankind is in a, lo- a loathsome state, that they can't look to God of their own accord, that yep. their, their moral ability has been so tainted by sin that there is an inability to be good. There is an inability to uphold a goodness. Now, some people may, may, of course, argue that mankind can do good works, and, and, and to a certain extent that's true. But we need to understand that if we strip the layers back, even the good works that we do is tainted by sin. Yep. That, that, that There may be ill motives. There may be small, even small, um, small underlying reasons why we're doing things which aren't so generous, which aren't so charitable. Uh, one thing that Luther uh, states is the whole understanding that even if you do good works, if it's not with the right motive, which is in the fear of the Lord, then it counts for naught. It's not, it's not to be considered a good work. And so it's this understanding that, again, we need to really recapture, reframe what the definition of good is. We need to reframe what really Amago day means. And, I, and I, like I mentioned to you uh, when we were eating together at Albie's uh, that night in Kentucky, I think one of the main issues within evangelicalism, within Big Eva, is we don't understand what Imago Day really means, post four. We're, we've elevated it up so much to go, look, mankind has intrinsic worth, but normally when we lift it up in that such a way, we normally devoid it of its connection to God. The only essence, and A.W. Pink, of course I'm going to cite him from time to time, <laughs> is <for> <laughs> that he cites that the only worth that mankind has ultimately is a worth which has been instilled in him by God. The only, that we have to understand that the connection there is the only, is the reason why humans have worth. So Voss, the hardest Voss in his uh, Reformed dogmatics, he he gives an understanding of course wh- when man fell, when man entered this new condition, this condition which has become so total to ourselves, so um, so g- became so part. Of our new identity on in this creation, that we're only really part of the mago day. We only are part of being made in Imago day in a broad sense. That yes, in in we're made in likeness in a spiritual likeness, as Calvin would put it, but only in a broad sense. Because in in the overall, in a much more narrower sense. Again, our claims to a mago Day aren't as strong as we'd like to believe.
0: Yeah. And I think of uh, a couple of good old Kentucky sayings that my dad used to use. Uh, a blind hog finds a nut every now and again. Uh, <laughs> and, and you think of the, the more common saying that you hear, uh, uh, a dead clock is right twice a day. And I think those give a really good picture of how we're able to manage to do good things periodically. Uh But more often than not, Mm. we're doing things selfishly. More often than not, we're doing things out of uh, not understanding, not having a broad enough picture to make a decision that is truly good. Uh, We have such a limited Mm. – our eyes are turned so inward uh, that we have such a limited vision of what else is happening in the world that when we do make a decision, it's tainted by the fact that we don't see the world rightly in the first place. And that makes such a big difference in uh, how we interact with one another. And I think uh, the the place to take the, the, the to kind of steer the conversation a little bit is to all right. Now we oh. have we we've set up for half an hour. How just heavy the effect of the fall is? What hope is there in fallen man? What where where can we look for any hope in that? And how do we share that sense of a right seeing of mankind in the broader world in a way that is that they can even hear that there's hope? Because most of the time when we talk about fallen man and, and the the marring of the image of God within by sin, uh, when we do that, so often we, we pour a little heavy on that side sometimes, I guess, and— it's hard to hear the hope that follows it because now you've turned my eyes in on myself and now my ears are turned off because I'm looking at myself while you're talking and I don't ever hear you give me hope. So is there a way that we can, we can take this lostness we have and, and share, I I mean, we have the hope of the gospel and that's the hope of fallen man. But how do we, how do we help them hear that hope? Um, And how do we help to show our fallenness in maybe in in contrast with that hope, uh, even as sinners who are who are saved and the sinfulness that that remains in us? Is that something we can use there?
1: Uh, absolutely, and and really comes down to the understanding of the law, doesn't it? I mean, the law helps in providing the self-diagnostic, understanding that we do fall short of the glory of God, yep. that we aren't the way that we were created, that we aren't the way that we should be, right? We fall short, we don't make that, we don't hit that standard. Yeah. And, and so what the whole idea of the law is meant to as one Puritan rightly said, the law should drive us to Christ. Yep. Because it's understanding w- the point that we do for sure that we aren't right. And we, and we don't have that rightness with God that we need to look towards the one that God sent in order that we may have that rightness back with God, that we may have that relationship, which was lost in the fall, restored, and so, when you, when you look, for example, in, in the constant exhortations in Scripture, a, a, which are so enriching, is the whole idea that we must look to Christ, look to the One that God sent, the you know the, the Passover Lamb who died in our place, because it's understanding that we fall so short of that standard to be right with God that there is a problem. There is a problem of our very state and the only way that can be restored is through that relationship through having Christ as our mediator, by trusting him, by believing that he is our Lord and our Savior. by believing by understanding that there, there is no one else that we can find salvation in. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, but Jesus. So it's understanding the whole idea that when we look at ourselves rightly, it, drives us, it should rightfully drive us to despair. But not to the sense that we have no hope. There is a hope. And that hope is Christ. So in contrast is that when we as Christians, even, even living post-cross, but already believing that Jesus is our Lord and Saviour, Look, continuously looking at God before looking at ourselves Mm. and and intentionally looking at ourselves while looking at God. So we can constantly see why we have such a dependence on God, because it's so easy for Christians to, to live in a way where we look at the world, we look at what we have, and we become less dependent on God because we, we fail to see why we need him. We, all, we have our uh, temporary provisions given. Uh, we're able to live day by day. But at the same time, we don't, un- we don't get that, that prick, that understanding of why we need God in our lives. And it's constantly why we, we, we really meditate on our own failings and then meditate on his goodness, that we can see why we need him why we need Christ, why we need that relationship with God. So, so the understanding of the, the four and understanding of our ontological condition, this side of Eden, is understanding that really when it comes down to it, we are incomplete.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We are so wrecked with sin that we, we need to go back to God. And of course, we know in of ourselves we won't, um, I, I hold to what Andrew Fuller uh, says about natural ability and moral inability. The whole idea that man has the na- natural faculties, we have reason, we have logic, to be able to come to God, but because of our moral corruption, because of the total moral, cor- mor- uh, because of the total moral corruption of our lives, we won't do it. Uh, John Owen once uh, puts it in his exposition in Psalm 130 that God has opened the door the door, the way is open and prepared but it is not because men cannot enter but because they will not and do not enter again going into the understanding of, of Jonathan Edwards, the whole idea, we have that sinful inclination that if we had to choose what to do, our our minds, our hearts will always be upon that which is evil, hmm. because that is now our state. Yep. So if that's the case, then there's no way, even understanding that we have this we we have this dilemma this 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 dilemma in our lives, where we fall so short of the g- glory of God, that we can turn to God of our own accord, and that's why. God needed to send Christ, and that's why the whole triune act of redemption had to occur. Mm.
0: I I was, as you were saying that, I had a an analogy pop in my head. I think so often as Mm. sinful, sinful man, uh, we almost think of ourselves. You know, if we if we're different kinds of cheeses, uh, sinful man kind of wants to think of himself as a Swiss cheese. I'm full of holes, but I'm structurally sound. (laughs) when in reality we're a crumble yep. cheese and and we're just all you know you touch us and we fall to pieces we have no structural integrity at all we yeah, have no, no, no absolutely. moral integrity uh to stand on it. it you know we 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 come before the, we we land on the plate and we just fall to pieces because we have no integrity and uh, yep. there's there's a uh, absolutely. uh what was that i just read it was just this week and and of course my brain is going to skip out on it uh it was relating to Uh, James, um, chapter one, where it's talking about, uh, the doubter is like, uh, someone who is tossed by the sea driven, uh, and that they're unstable. They're double-minded and unstable in all their ways. And uh, I believe I was reading, if I remember myself correctly, uh, in one of the Psalms this week, and it drove me straight to that thought. And now I'm going to have a hard time remembering exactly which one it was. Um, uh, but where it, Ooh. it mentioned that very idea of being, uh, that, that man is just in pieces basically. Uh, and it was in the eighties and I'm Ooh. sitting here with my Bible open and I might find it and I might not. But the idea that, uh, that, that man as he is, is not, there, there's no integrity to him. It's that same idea um, as the cheese analogy mm. that I had just a minute ago. Um, yeah, and, absolutely. Absolutely. And, but it, it just puts it in a way that, that makes sense in my head. Uh, you know, it's so often we think of, uh of ourselves as, you know, somebody who's integrated, but we're not, we are, we are in pieces mm. because of the fall. And uh, you know, we, we come to God all broken down and, we can't put ourselves back together. We, the, the old, the, the, the children's rhyme of Humpty Dumpty. We are Humpty Dumpty. We have fallen into pieces and no man can save us. No one can put us back together. Absolutely. But God can absolutely because he made us in the first place. That's right. He can put us back together. He can, he can take what is dead and give it the life that it should have had from the beginning, bringing us from darkness to light, bringing us from dead to, to alive, one of my guests uh, alan nelson just wrote the book uh and released it last year from death to life uh, uh talking about the the process Ooh. of salvation and it's such a uh in fact go listen to that episode if you haven't yet uh, i don't remember what number it is it's part of it's it's uh in the middle of the seasons of uh the life of a believer uh that series that we did at the end of last season uh and uh, you know it, there's so much that we think of ourselves as worthy of salvation. I think too often rather than mm. seeing ourselves Absolutely. as uh, unworthy to even be anywhere near God and even to be looked upon by God, but by his grace, he looks on us with, with compassion and with mercy and with love and says, mm. here's my son. Absolutely. Here's the blood of my son to cover your sin and to remake you into where I made you the first time. Uh, and it's mm. it, that idea. Uh, I think so often we think we just need to be, ha- have the holes plugged. We, we're already okay. You know, it's like moving into a house and just renovating when in reality, it isn't that the house needs renovating. It's that the house is totally collapsed and the foundation is cracked and you need an all new house. And God creates that in us. That's right. And Renews us. Uh, into the image that he created for us, but it's a remaking from death. Uh, it's such different than sometimes we we want to think of it as. Um, well, you know, if we just do this for them, you know, we, we 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 need to we need to train them to how to do it right. Well, that's that's not going to help when we're when we're still sinful. I think um, really you're
1: absolutely right because as we know, Ephesians te- two tells us quite clearly. As for you you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Therefore, there's man's dilemma. How can we be right with God? And ultimately, that can only be through Christ. And so it's this understanding, understanding that, understanding who we are and why we need God and who we truly are, that we can really see the glory and graciousness of God. Uh, I think we, man, man often has an entitlement complex. We think we deserve things when really the scripture is quite clear because of the consequence of man's fall into, into debauchery and sin that really the only thing that man deserves is judgment and damnation. Yes. The fact that God graciously permitted the, the a continued existence of mankind past Genesis 3 is a testament to his graciousness. The fact that God allowed the repopulation of mankind from Noah, is a testament to His graciousness. Yes. It, time and time again, we just find th- th- this understanding that, despite how wicked mankind is, God is a complete opposite. He is gracious. He is loving. He is forbearing. I, I remember once uh, a bit from a sermon that Jonathan Edwards preached, and he uh, he said basically said that the fact that any of you are in church this morning is a testament to God's graciousness, not because they've been regenerate no through. That's true because God in his sovereignty, in his justice could have struck any one of them for the many transgressions they committed since waking up in the morning.
0: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> in any one sin, it's, any one sin makes us that unworthy. Just one. Yeah. yeah. And, and we can't yeah. number. We can't uh, and, number and, and, our and sins.
1: The rea- no, and, and that's exactly it. it. It's not only the fact that we sin, which makes it bad. It's the fact that we are a sinner already to commit sin. Yes. And just the understanding that the continuation of original sin wrecking each and every single one of Adam's progeny uh, it just keeps showing that sin begets sin. And so we end up how many generations after our first parents
0: suck and entirely uh, wrecked with sin. And then and then after the fall, how long did it take, you know, or after the flood, how long did it take where? Uh, once again back in the same same boat uh even in the even in the house of Israel Not even in the all. house of Abraham you know it's we're right there right away yep. and and you look at the history in the old testament uh, just you know read the minor prophets if you want to if you want to see a a a blow by blow of how despicable even god's holy people <laughs> set aside called about separated people how ungodly they were read the minor prophets because it is given to you in a blow by blow statement so many times. And, and we see the same thing happening uh, even today. You know, you, you, you want to see, you know, if you want to question whether we're capable of good on our own, look at the scandals that are happening throughout professed Christianity throughout the church, throughout the world, throughout the church Mm. we have these things uh i think of the sexual abuse crisis i think about uh, the the state of of marriage within the church and it's it's not new i mean they've been we've been sounding these alarms for at least a hundred years i've read the works i've Mm. (laughs) read i've seen it in print where we're talking about the exact same stuff that we were talking about literally in the 19-teens of divorce, of mm. of uh, sexual immorality within the church, of uh, the rise of homosexuality within the church, and and the the, the things trying to pull apart at the, ch- there's nothing new there, and the sinfulness of the people that are part of the church, even though that that so many of us are saved. But at the same time, we're not wholly sanctified yet. And that's another episode I'm not going to get to just yet. But (laughs) in fact, that's a preview to the next episode uh, that I'm going to be recording tomorrow. But at the same time, that's part of it uh, with the fall and the effects of the fall is that it's so ingrained in how we relate to each other. You think about the 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 stories of fallen pastors and you think about the stories of abusive church bodies where they abuse their pastor. Um, and, and the, the oh. over and over again, we see these things happening and the drifts from orthodoxy into heresy that happen within the church over and over yep. again. It's because we are riddled with sin. Um, and it's, it's a, it's such a, a difficult thing. And it makes us, it really, as I said earlier, it makes you want to go into a bit of a, a wailing and a bemoaning the state of where you are and, and almost starts to Ooh. draw away your hope uh, even though it's not the hope that we should be giving up. It's the hope we should be clinging to and running to and grabbing a hold of and hanging on until our hands are bleeding because that is the only hope we have. That we can't rely on ourselves. Absolutely. I feel like I went on a rant there. Yeah, no, absolutely <laughs> because...
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. Amen, brother. Amen. Uh, because you're, you're absolutely right. And I think the, the quote Pink again, one thing he says aptly, and this is in his book, The, the Doctrine of Total Depravity. So he, he mm-hmm. covered it. He knew it was a problem back in the early 20th century, and it's a problem yeah. today, and it's been a problem for, for uh, since time became. But the whole understanding that is that notwithstanding the clear and uniform teaching of Scripture, because it is so clear. Man's ruined condition and alienation from God are but feebly apprehended and seldom heard in the modern pulpit in a given little place, even in what are regarded as the centers of orthodoxy. So you understand that it's a problem even within our own camp, where we have people who may be, oh, I'm I'm a five-point Calvinist, or I'm a reformed uh, persuasion. The actual outworking of their doctrine of total depravity is absent because they might go, yes, I hold to it in an intellectual kind of notion or abstract kind of notion. But when things actually come out, how they're living their lives, how they respond to other people, it's almost as if the doctrine of total depravity falls over as a paper tiger. Yeah. And and so it's just really understanding who we are, who God is. And that we understand that there's nothing that I can bring. There's nothing in my hand that I can bring but simply to the cross I cling, which mm. is so correct, so right in its understanding that there's nothing we can offer. As, uh, we all know the passage where, in Isaiah where our good deeds are nothing but dirty rags. Yep. So we just need to constantly remember that, really, an honest evaluation of ourselves and of this world should always put us onto an understanding that we need Christ.
0: Yes. And there's nothing that can that, that can take that place. Uh, Nothing that, that you just said, nothing to the cross I bring. Uh, And that is so true. And I'm going to, I think that's a great place to end this episode because we're clinging to the cross. And as we go into the next episode to talk about what mm-hmm. happens next with sanctification and and what does obedience look like as we look at that uh, that idea of clinging to the cross uh, is such a key. There, we're clinging to the cross. That's the only thing we can do uh, because we don't have the ability to. That's right. Uh, to to buck up underneath ourselves and you can make it. How you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps spiritually. It doesn't work that way. We can only cling to the cross and fall at its feet. Uh, Bunyan so well uh, put that in Pilgrim's Progress, where the burden rolled off and fell into a grave. And now he's able to walk and and doesn't, he's not crushed Mm -hmm. under that burden any longer uh, as he is made newly born. Uh, And it is, it is uh, such a wonderful picture of the gospel and, and uh, that that keep coming back to that song nothing to the cross i bring uh or that's not uh, nothing of my own i bring simply to the cross i cling it's clearly too late in the night for me to continue talking Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) so i'm gonna go ahead and let us wrap this up i want to thank you brett for being on Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure for me uh, to meet you, to get to know you online just a little bit, but to have the chance to sit down face to face and talk, and also uh, on this time uh, through the internet, having a chance to sit and talk, it has been uh, a blessing to me uh, to be able to sit and talk with you, and and I pray that it is going to be a blessing to our listeners. Uh, and I do want to say, listeners, please share this episode and this series as we go through it, because uh, understanding anthropology well is um, it's very important to understanding the Bible itself. And it's not the place to start. We're starting this episode here absolutely, or this series here. Uh, and actually what we're going to do is, is as we go out of this series that we're, it's looking like my plan is to go into to do a series on uh, Christology because, uh, and we will probably end up doing theology proper following that just because of the way it's flowing. Uh, yep. But uh, I might end up with a systematic, a reverse systematic theology, uh, for this season that may end up being the whole season. We'll see. Uh, but, uh, I, I pray that you continue to listen to it and share it because we're covering things that are, uh, just absolutely core essentials to understanding your own walk with and, uh, understanding what salvation mm-hmm. is and, and why it's necessary. So Brett, thank you for being on. And uh, I look forward to having it's a pleasure. It, it, I look forward to having the opportunity to uh, speak with you a few more times, hopefully uh, in, in person again there at Owensboro as we have the opportunity. So uh, thank you very much. And, Lord Willing. Yeah, Lord Willing. absolutely. <laughs> thank you. Uh, have a wonderful day everybody, or evening, depending on when you're listening. And uh, we pray that God will give you a sense of his greatness and his glory and his love for you that he would send Christ and that you would not be crushed under this burden of the fall. And instead that you would have hope in the gospel and hope through the cross. Uh, And so with that, we want to say, may God be with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Simmering Thoughts. You can join the conversation by emailing us at simmeringthoughts at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Simmer Thoughts, where we have a page and a discussion group. We'd love to hear from you there. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Simmer Thoughts. You can find past episodes of Simmering Thoughts on a variety of podcast catchers, including iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share Simmering Thoughts with your friends. We hope you'll join us again next week. For another episode of Simmering Thoughts.